Chapter 13 of Ashton Kirk, Secret Agent, by John Thomas McIntyre. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Pete Milan. Chapter 13 Old Nanon Speaks. Ashton Kirk was at breakfast next morning when Fuller entered. I beg pardon, said the assistant but I've just had a call from Burgess, and I thought you'd like to hear what he had to say. Good. Let's have it. He went to 424 Low Street last night, after I gave him your instructions. It's a large building, once used as a factory, but now rearranged as an apartment house. There was a gas-lighted sign over the door, which said rooms might be had. Burgess took one on the fourth floor, and in a conversation with the caretaker, mentioned that he had a friend, a Pole, who had lived there. Do you know Kendrick, says the caretaker? He's right across the hall from you. But Burgess says no, that's not the name. And when the man went away, he waited a while, and then knocked at the door opposite. The person who opened in answer to the knock was a middle-aged man, stout and with grayish hair. Burgess said he was enough like the description we had of Karkowski to be his twin brother. Ashton Kirk set down his coffee cup, a smile upon his face. It is Karkowski himself, just as I expected, said he. But, glancing at Fuller, what happened then? Burgess merely asked if he could bother him for a match, which the stout man provided willingly enough, and then promptly closed his door. Nothing more? That is all so far. What do the papers report that is new? Nothing, except that Osborne has returned, and will now plunge into the intricacies of the case with renewed zeal. They seem to suspect him of having made wonderful discoveries of some sort. Have you heard anything from Purvis? Yes. He reports that no one but Drevenoff has made any movement away from the house in Fordham Road, Eastbury, and that he has merely walked about a little, apparently for exercise, or gone to the nearest post-box to mail some letters. Dr. Morse is to be buried today, I believe. Yes, at about noon. It was at that hour that Stumpf entered the study. There is a woman below, sir, said he. She is quite old and quite remarkable. She wishes to speak to you and says that I am to inform you that she is from Dr. Morse's. Bring her up. Old Nanon came in a few moments later, grim, erect, and angular. Her keen eyes seemed somewhat sunken, and her wrinkled face more gaunt. But her glance was as sharp as ever, and her mouth was set in the same stern line. You are surprised, she said, when she had seated herself and studied him for a moment. You thought that because Simon Morse was being carried to the grave that I, an old servant of his family, would remain near him to the last. It's the sort of thing that's usually expected, said the secret agent. No one who knows would expect it from me, said the old woman. No one who knows would expect it from me, she repeated her lips forming the words slowly. 
and her gray head swaying from side to side. I knew him from a child. He was evil, possessed of evil. And what he was in the last days of his life? So he was always. Ashton Kirk said nothing. He remained gazing at the old Breton woman, his hands clasping his knee and his head tilted so as to rest upon the back of his chair. There was never any other in the family like him, she continued. Not one. I have known them for four generations. His great-grandmother it was who employed me first. I was a girl then. And she was good to me. They were all good to me. And I remained with them and served them as well as I could. There must have been something wicked in them somewhere. Something hidden and black, and in this sun it showed itself. Here her voice lowered, and she leaned toward the secret agent. In Brittany there is a belief that there are those gifted with a strange vision. Have I that, I wonder? Sometimes I have thought so. For it was I alone who saw Simon Merce entirely as he was. To be sure, others have heard him blaspheme, and still others have read his books. But I alone knew him for what he was. The secret agent still sat attentively silent. If he wondered what all this would eventually lead to, he made no sign. I have always been thankful, proceeded Nenon, that only one of the family was so cursed. All those who had gone before were mild and religious and gentle. And because of this, I felt I should not desert this tainted one, but remain and strive with him, even if it did no good. She paused for a moment, and the bony old hands, with their thick blue veins, were locked tightly together. Yes, she resumed, I was always thankful that only one of them was evil of heart. But now, whisperingly, I am not so sure that I have even that to be thankful for. A faint wrinkle showed itself between the eyes of Ashton Kirk, but other than this, he made no sign that he was disturbed. Love, said the old woman, after a few moments, is the one thing which is thought to be the character of what is bad. Through love, I have heard it said, the fair-hearted influences the wrongdoer. It is as a bridge between them over which is passed the saving grace. That is what everyone says. But, and there was a note in her voice which was almost savage. Is it true? And if it works one way, why should it not work the other? If good passes between two people because they love each other, why should not evil? And, very slowly, Simon Merce 
and his niece were much attached to each other. Through the open window, the roar of midday arose from the street. The throaty voices of peddlers, the grind of wheels, and the warning cries of drivers were ceaseless. And below all this was an undertone, a subdued, murmurous undertone, such as is made by cautious creatures, each with a private design. Sometimes, said the old woman, things are expected, and when they come, they create no surprise. And again, there are others, which are so unexpected that they all but crush one to the earth. Ashton Kirk nodded. Something unexpected has happened, he said. You shall hear all for yourself, said the old servant. It was for that purpose that I came to you. She settled herself rigidly in her chair, upright, unbending, full of purpose. I have read the newspapers, she said. I have heard the police and the coroner's deputy. They have all said much. And in the end, their talk comes to this. Philip Warwick murdered Simon Merce. Perhaps. And her gray eyes searched his face. You too think so. But no matter. I tell you, and I know, that he did not do this thing. There was a moment's silence. Then Ashton Kirk said, quietly, Then who did? She gestured with both hands. Because I say that I know that he did not, she replied, does it follow that I must know who did? She waited for an answer, but as none came, she went on. You have heard that Philip Warwick and Stella Corbin were to be married? I thought so. He is a very boyish fellow. He was proud of her, and told everyone. I was glad when I heard it, for I thought them well mated. But Simon was not pleased. The young man perhaps would not follow where he led. At any rate, he disliked him. They quite frequently had high words. But Mr. Warwick never allowed himself to go too far in his resentment. At least never until lately. The day that you first visited the house, they almost came to blows. And on the night that Simon was killed, he actually struck his secretary. This was not told to the police, said the secret agent. Why? I was the only one that saw it, said the old woman, and I did not tell of it, because I knew that it would only make them suspect the young man all the more. Go on, said Ashton Kirk. This is how I came to be a witness to what passed between them. I had gone to the front door to answer a ring, but it was only a person to inquire about someone who had lately left a house across the street. As I closed the door, I saw that of the library ajar, and through the opening I saw Dr. Merce and Mr. Warwick standing facing each other. Very well, then, 
Mr. Warwick was saying. It shall be done in spite of you. And with that, the other lifted his hand, and I heard the sound of the blow even where I stood. Did Warwick return it? I think not. I did not wait to see, however, but went on along the hall. I turned, though, as I reached the end, and saw Mr. Warwick step out of the library and walk toward the stairs. He had gone up perhaps three steps when he stopped and was about to turn back. But though he was fairly shaking with anger, he thought better of it and went on up to his room. At what time was this? Immediately after dinner. If such a thing were possible, the old woman sat more erect than ever, the craggy brows bent over the sharp eyes, and the voice sank a tone lower. And as Philip Warwick went up the stairs, I saw Miss Stella come out of the room opposite the library. She stood looking after him. And on her face was a look which I had never noticed there before. She had seen what had happened, and for some reason was glad of it. There was nothing more, until I left the front door some time later and went to the kitchen to make the coffee. Then I heard something on the back stairs. Thinking it might be Drevenor taken bad, I opened the door. But it was Miss Stella and Mr. Warwick. They stood on the landing and were talking in low tones. I could not help overhearing what they said, and I remember it, because I have repeated it over and over to myself a thousand times since then. Is it possible? Mr. Warwick said. Have you really got it? I did not hear what was said in answer, and then he spoke again. But how in the world did you manage it? I know he thinks a great deal of you, but I never dreamed that he'd give. Here she must have stopped him by putting her fingers to his lips, a way that she had. Don't stop to talk, I heard Miss Stella say. You must go at once, and no matter what you hear, do not return until I send you word. Then I closed the door softly as they stole downstairs and after a little again came the soft footfalls, this time going up the stairs. There was a pause, and then the old woman crossed her hands in her lap, her eyes looking sternly into the face of Ashton Kirk. It was only a few minutes after that, she said, that I found Simon Mouse dead in his chair. End of chapter 13